What a great video to intro the sermon today. Um, as we always turn our hearts and minds to Scripture, I invite you to open your Bibles to Psalm 1. It's a psalm of wisdom, the very first psalm of the Psalter that sets the tone for what follows. It's a relatively short and fairly well-known psalm, and we get to study it together this morning. Psalm chapter 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither, whatever he does prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The Word of the Lord. Well, summer is quickly coming to a close, and if you aren't already in school, you will be soon back in the classroom, back studying and learning again. Which makes this psalm, Psalm 1, the perfect psalm for us to study in this back-to-school season, because it's a wisdom psalm. This psalm is a lot like a proverb, where it shows us how God created the world, and if you choose to live according to the way God made the world to work, you will be blessed. If you choose to live counterculturally to what God wants, you will not be blessed. Psalm 1 begins with a startling claim. There are only two ways to live. Only two. We can be trees... And we can bless others, since blessed is the very first word of the psalm. Or we can be chaff and we can perish, which is the last word of the psalm. Blessed or perish. The choice is ours and there's no middle ground. This theme is repeated again in Psalm 145, verse 20. Let's read it out loud together. The Lord watches over all who love Him, but all the wicked He will destroy. Very similar to what the psalmist says in Psalm 1. And it's a very similar message to the message Joshua gave to all the Israelites as they were ready to enter the land of Canaan. You might remember these words. He said, But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve whether the gods your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. That's the way we're going to walk. You make your own choice. Because every decision we make, small and large, either nudges us in the direction of God and of being tree people, or it nudges us in the opposite direction to being chaff people. 
Verse 1. Let's read verse 1 together. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. Now you'll notice the highlighted words there. Those are the verbs. Do you notice there's a progression to those words? First, we walk past the wicked. We sort of notice them go in their direction a little bit. Then we find ourselves standing nearby, listening to what they're saying. And then finally, we find ourselves sitting among them and becoming one of them. That's the natural progression of sin and temptation in our lives. The Apostle James describes it like this. Temptation comes from our own desires which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. So, what do we do about that natural progression of things? The psalmist gives us some wisdom to ponder here. The psalmist says, tune out the advice of the wicked. Because if you haven't noticed, the advice of the wicked and their way of thinking just pervades everything. Pervades the culture. Pervades the atmosphere. It's in the classrooms where professors teach. It's in the music and messages from artists and podcasters. It's broadcast on television and radio. It's in the heart of Hollywood movie stars and sports figures. It's just everywhere in our culture because it's the natural progression of the way the sinful heart goes. And our culture increasingly is shifting in that direction, it seems. You can't avoid it. So, we shouldn't choose to listen to it. We should choose a different way. We should seek truth and surround ourselves with people who believe in Jesus and want to walk in His ways, not the ways of the world. But if we follow that advice, won't we end up isolated, living in little religious colonies, religious ghettos, you might say, where only like-minded people who think and believe just like us kind of hold up together? And you try to limit any interaction with anyone outside that little enclave? Perhaps. That's called the fortress mentality. And many Christians have figured that's maybe the best way to go. Because you have this worldly culture that is secular and anti-God and anti-Jesus and you want to get as far away from them as you can so you pull yourselves together, you circle the wagons, and you hope for the best. Is that the way Jesus lived? I don't think so. He did spend a lot of time in the religious communities north on the north side of the Sea of Galilee, but he also deliberately ate with prostitutes and tax collectors and other sinners. He had dinner in the homes of Pharisees who were not fans of his. 
And he did so much of that that the religious establishment, the religious leaders of the day, openly criticized him for doing so. He didn't just hole up in Nazareth or in Capernaum, but went far and wide, even into Gentile pagan territory, because that's what the kingdom of God does. It doesn't isolate itself, but it is the light of the world. And that's what Jesus calls His followers to do and to be. To be the light of the world. To be the salt of the earth. To be an influence in the lives and in the culture in which we're placed. So we have this careful balance that we have to walk. We're in the world. We can't pluck ourselves up out of the world or out of the culture or out of the community in which we live, out of the workplace, out of the school we're going to. That's where we are. The challenge is, in that environment, we must follow Jesus. We must have an influence more on the people around us than they have on us. How's that going for you? That, it turns out, is a significant challenge. Often, it goes the other way. Because how much time you spend in church in a week? An hour? Compared to how much time you spend in the world? Listening to the messages of the world? Scripture doesn't have a lot of chance to work on us that way. But the psalmist gives us the secret for how we can become those influencers for how our neighbors can become aware of what our values are. That our co-workers will know what we believe. The, t- the psalmist gives us the secret. This is what he writes, Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers. But they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all they do. Two words strike me in these verses. The word delight and the word law. Two words I wouldn't put in a sentence together, and I suspect you wouldn't either. Because when we think of law, we don't think of something to delight in. We think of restrictions to our freedom. There's rules and regulations we have to follow. They kind of keep us from doing what we really might want to do if allowed to do it. But they're the laws, they're the rules, and we know we're supposed to follow them, so we do but we don't delight in it. And yet, that is what the psalmist says. The way we tend to think of that word law or laws strikes me as being 180 degrees different than the way the Jewish and Israelite people understood it according to this text. The Jewish word for law here is Torah. And by Torah, they weren't just referring to a commandment or two, or even the Ten Commandments. They were referring to all of the instructions that God gives us in the Bible. Specifically, the first five books of the Bible were more known as the Torah. 
So when the Jews in Jesus' day and in the psalmist's day went on the Sabbath day to their synagogues and they sat down in the places where you all are sitting and then the designated person would go to that little secret closet and pull out the Torah scroll, what would they do? Solemnly read it to everybody, right? You've never been to a synagogue, have you? What they do is they take that Torah scroll out and then they dance around, they dance around and everybody stands and celebrates. We have the Word of God. Thank God He's given us instructions. Without His instructions, we would die. We would walk in darkness. How blessed how we celebrate to have the Scriptures that God has given us. That's what you would experience if you went to a synagogue. That doesn't seem to me to be what we do on Sundays. We had a video. We sang a song, which is all good. A Gentile reading of verse 2 might go like this, but our delight is in God's Word, and on that Word we meditate day and night. In other words, we love Scripture. We read it and reflect on it as often as we can. Because by doing so, we not only find the way to eternal life, but once we found the way to eternal life, there's so much wisdom, so much guidance, so much advice to live a life of joy and blessing. We're just constantly drawn to it. Or not. I wish that were deeper in my heart. That desire for Scripture, for God's Word, for what it really is and what it really does for us. We learn in the Scriptures to love the Lord and to walk in His ways. This, is, this text doesn't tell us how to be saved. We're saved through Christ. This text tells us how to live so that we can live abundantly. Because it's not just what we believe that's important, it's what we love. Did you ever notice that? It's what you love that your life tends to go after. So every choice you make reflects a love that you have. So look at all of your choices, look at all of your habits and patterns of living, and it will tell you what you truly love and value. Because that's what you will do. That's what you'll follow. Not what you believe. You think it's what you believe that will take the lead, but it isn't. It's what you love. And so the greatest commandment is what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Because if you make that the love of your life, everything will follow. Everything will lead you to that. That's why it's the greatest commandment. But doesn't that make Scripture a God in a way? Aren't we supposed to love and follow Jesus, not the Bible? I'm not sure it's necessary to separate Jesus from Torah here. In many ways, Jesus was Torah in the flesh. Jesus loved 
the Torah. Jesus lived the Torah. Jesus died the Torah. Jesus fulfilled the Torah. Jesus taught the Torah. Without Jesus, all we would have is a bunch of rules and legalistic self-righteousness hoping that if we walk in them carefully enough, we're going to get saved. But we know that isn't how it works. Salvation isn't by works. It's not by following rules. Salvation is a gift of God by believing in Christ His Son. So Psalm 1 talks about this. And Jesus talks about this. In fact, Jesus says it very plainly in John 14. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Me. We are called to be lifelong disciples of Jesus, which means we know Him. We abide in Him and we share Him with others. That's what defines a disciple. To use the imagery of Psalm 1, lifelong disciples of Jesus are like fruitful trees. When we choose to love the Lord and follow His Word and walk in the ways that He lays out for us, we find that abundant life our hearts long for. The psalmist uses this image of a tree planted by a stream. That word planted in Hebrew can also be the word transplanted because if you really think of it, how often do you choose to plant yourself by the life-giving stream of Scripture? On our own, it's not a choice we make. It's God who by His grace grabs our attention and and takes us from the kingdom of darkness and puts us into the kingdom of the Son He loves and gives us that new heart that Ezekiel talks about and gives us new desires. And all of a sudden we think, no, that's what I want to do. I want to do more of that and I want to do a whole lot less of that. Because God's done something in me. And He's transplanted us by this life-giving stream where we can become rooted and fruitful. And we can become a blessing to others. Because if you think of it, when you just go the way of the world, it tends to be a rather self-centered thing. Whatever I can get, whatever makes me happy, as long as I don't violate someone else, maybe I'm going to do what I can to be happy. It's rather self-centered. It doesn't bless or serve anyone else. And yet, the more grounded we are in Scripture and in God and in His ways, the more we become aware of other people and the more we have a desire to bless other people, to serve other people. We become firmly rooted in His Word. So when those winds of the world begin to howl like a gale, they tend to bend everybody else. They tend to tip everybody else in their direction. But the person who stands on the Word of God stands firm. We will not bend with those cultural winds. We know what we believe. We know the God we serve and we're not going along with you. And you can think of us as obstinate or you can see us as rooted and fruitful and a blessing. But that's what we're choosing to do. The prophet Jeremiah echoes these words. He writes, They are like trees planted along a riverbank with roots that reach deep into the water. 
Such trees are not bothered by the heat or worried by long months of drought. Their leaves stay green and they never stop producing fruit. That is a picture of a lifelong disciple of Jesus. Strong, stable, wise, a source of good and blessing to others. Those are the people we're called to be. Unfortunately, those words don't describe most people. Verse 4 describes the natural course of events when we follow the ways of the world. Let's read verse 4. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. So while the righteous are like fruitful trees, the wicked are like chaff. Most of us aren't farmers. We maybe aren't so familiar with chaff. But in ancient times, almost everybody was a farmer. And everybody had a grain harvest, big or small. And what they would do when the grain was ripe is they would go into the fields like the picture and they would cut down the stalks of wheat or barley or whatever the grain was and gather them into sheaves. They would then take these sheaves to a threshing floor, a a large, flat, rocky outcropping often on the top of a hill where there was a lot of wind. And there, they would attempt to separate the kernel of grain from the chaff that surrounds that kernel. Every kernel surrounded by a little piece of chaff. And so, they would throw it up into the air. And because the chaff would be lighter, it would blow away. And the kernels would fall closer to their feet where then they could be gathered. And they would collect the grain and then throw the chaff away because it's worthless. According to the psalmist, the wicked are like chaff. They blow wherever the wind blows. They're lightweights. They like to think they're heavyweights, but they don't know near what they think they know. They just follow the winds and fads of culture. They're all on board with whatever everybody else is doing, and they just go along with the crowd, merrily along their way. As the winds of culture blow, they just blow right along with them. They have no rootedness, no principles. They're not grounded in anything except following the crowd. That's not what we're supposed to be like. Do what's convenient, do what feels good, do what everyone else is doing. That's not the way to live. But for a while, when you watch those people live life like that, it can seem like, man, they've got a good life. How foolish I am to try so hard to live differently when they seem to be having such a good time. And the psalmist saw the same thing. Later in the Psalms, Asaph in Psalm 73, he writes this, Look at these wicked people enjoying a life of ease while their riches multiply. Did I keep my heart pure for nothing? Did I keep myself innocent for no reason? So I tried to understand why the wicked prosper. But what a difficult task it is. Then I went into your sanctuary, O God, and I finally understood the destiny of the wicked. 
Truly, you put them on a slippery path and send them sliding over the cliff to destruction. In an instant, they are destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. So it turns out, the wicked and the righteous have very different futures. Couldn't be more different. God watches over the way of the righteous, the text says, but the way of the wicked will perish. It's a lot like Jesus' parable of the wheat and the tares. The farmer plants his field full of wheat, and in the night an enemy comes and throws a bunch of seeds of weeds all over the place, and soon enough they begin to notice that they're all growing up together. So what does the farmer do? Rip out all the weeds? Well, no, then you're going to do damage to your crop. Just let them grow, the farmer says, and in the end we'll sort it out. So God lets people grow, lets them live, and pretty soon in the end, Jesus is going to come and He's going to sort it all out. And the good is going to be separated from the bad. So friends, Psalm 1 presents us with a stark choice. It's like a fork in the road. You've got to make a decision one way or the other. And you don't just make this decision once, you make it every day. Are you going to go this way? Or are you going to go that way? Are you going to be a tree person and avoid sin? Or are you going to be a chaff person and indulge in sin? Are you going to be a tree person who delights in God's Word and spends time in it, allowing it to steer the course of your heart and life? Or are you going to ignore it and do your own thing? Are you going to be a tree person who bears fruit and blesses people? Or are you going to be a chaff person who perishes? The choice is ours. What kind of person will you be? Let's pray. Lord, what deep wisdom in this psalm. Because this is exactly the way life goes. We have all these options and so many of them look so enticing and so many people are walking that broad highway to destruction. And we feel like we'd like to join them. They look like they're having a marvelous time. But doing so would be horribly unwise. We want to find that small road that leads to life that very few people find. Thank You, O God, for revealing Christ to us. It's only in and through Jesus that we find life and joy and forgiveness. It's through Him we find salvation. But Lord, once we find that door, then we make decisions about how to live life. How do we enjoy a life free from sin and misery? By listening to the psalmist. So Lord, give us ears to hear what You're saying today. Convict us where we need to be convicted. Allow Your Spirit to continue to whisper in our ear all this week as we're faced with choices. We want to love You and we want to walk in Your ways. May that increasingly be our choice as we delight in Your Word. 
Through Christ our Lord we pray. Amen.